Hey guys, and welcome to Authentic Christianity. Uh, I'm your host, Justin West, and I am going to be doing something a little different. I'm going to be rebranding this channel, uh, formerly called Ask Catholics. Um, and you still are welcome to email uh, askcatholics at gmail.com if you have questions about Catholic Christianity. I'm happy to answer those questions for you. I am still Catholic. I am not leaving the Catholic faith, but I'm rebranding this channel, and I want to explain a little bit as to why that is the case. Um, I'm rebranding this channel, Authentic Christianity, and I'm doing that because A, Christianity gets a lot of search volume as a, as a search term. There's a lot of people who want to know how to be Christian, how to get in touch with the earliest Christian traditions. And so what this channel is going to be focused about is presenting authentic Christian beliefs that are as relatable as possible to modern day issues uh, and modern day questions, but as related as we can, showing them being connected to the early church. So connected to the church of the first century, the second century, the third century. So I have this picture in front of me. It's actually a video and it's a, it's a mountain with a lovely little stream. I looked up a bunch of different ones and I opted with this one because it just, I like the color balance on it. It was lovely. And obviously if you're just listening to the podcast, you can't see the mountain, but I want you to picture uh, a big snowy camped mountain. Um, and then uh, imagine from that mountain, a, a stream is, is flowing downhill and maybe we're halfway down the mountain and you know, you're right where the stream is and it keeps on flowing down the mountain further. Right. And there's my children in the background, making this a calming and soothing atmosphere. <laughs> I've kind of got the Bob Ross voice going on too. It's a, it's a happy little tree over here. Let's give him a little friend. Anyway, so if you want pure mountain spring water, the best place to get that is at the top of the mountain, right where it starts to melt. And if you were to get close to the top of the mountain, the, the water that you had there would be as, as pure as the water was going to get. You may still obviously want to strain it or boil it, uh, but it's about as pure as it gets. And the further down the mountain you get, the, the dirtier the water becomes. And maybe at some point you find that there's really strong deposits of something problematic, maybe even, you know, mercury or lead. Uh, if you were to, you know, be at the bottom of the hill and you see this mountain runoff and you test it, and you find out that there's dangerous levels of a chemical, you'd want to follow that stream up the hill because you'd want to figure out where it was flowing, that it was coming in contact with some sort of a uh, substance that was causing the water to be um, polluted, right? To be, to be poisoned. And the further up the mountain you got, the purer and purer that water would be, and the fewer and fewer impurities you would find in that water. When most people want to think about becoming a Christian, um, they, if you're in this journey right now, chances are you want to make sure that you're following the, the truest form of Christianity, right? Jesus came and he gave us the truth that the truth might set us free. And yet you see hundreds, if not thousands of different Christian denominations teaching different, oftentimes competing doctrines, um, you know, Jesus can't be both, uh, God and not God, right? So, uh, you find people like, uh, say the Jehovah's Witnesses who say that Jesus is really just an angel, Michael the Archangel. Well, that either is true or it's not. Um, and so if you want to know whether or not certain beliefs are innate to Christianity, obviously, uh, most Christians would say, well, turn to the Bible, right? Turn to the scriptures. But the problem is that clearly doesn't work in and of itself. And the reason is just like 
the Constitution of the United States is a tiny document that can fit in your pocket. This is a little tiny version of the Constitution, and this is actually uh, mostly notes. <laughs> There's actually not a lot of Constitution here, but this could definitely fit in my back pocket. And yet a tiny document of this size is so contentious that um, we have to, you know, we have a whole court of law based around helping us, uh, helping us to understand the, the constitution, understand what it means, how it applies to us, how it applies to the states and the states, uh, and their exchanges between each other, uh, their, their, their exchanges between themselves and the federal government, what we as citizens are owed from the federal government, etc. And there are so many competing interpretations of this one little tiny document that without the Supreme Court, we simply couldn't function. You would basically have state against state and state against federal government, federal government against the state. Without the constitution, we wouldn't have the United States. Um, and it's, again, it's a tiny little document. So now obviously the Supreme court, they're not infallible. They do make, um, they make binding decisions, even if they don't make correct decisions. And that's kind of an important distinction to make, right? Um, so certain things like the, the Dred Scott decision and whatnot, they were not correct, not good decisions, I would say, uh, but they were binding. They were the law of the land until the law could be overturned. And of course, these are mutable, changeable, um, laws of, of the world around us. These are not laws that are, uh, you're divine and, and eternal. So if you wanted to understand the Bible, it would stand to reason that first off, of course, you do need to have familiarity with that document, right? You need to read the Bible. Uh, and as, as Christians, uh, as pre-denominational Christians, uh, that is something that we should always be aiming to do, right? You should have familiarity with the scriptures because we all believe as Christians that the scriptures are, um, the inspired word of God given to us that we can know, uh, certain things about salvation, but the scriptures were never a standalone issue. They just weren't. Um, they always required a church to whom most of them were being written as a way of disseminating the faith. Uh, and they were being written by living members of that body who participate in the body of Christ. And these living members, uh, were trying to find a way to disseminate the knowledge that they have and pass it on. Uh, very few of them ever made a claim, even that what they were writing was inspired, uh, let alone infallible, uh, merely just historical documents, right? Uh, but the early church was them as reliable, uh, as reliable pieces of, of history that talked about, uh, the church and, and gave real guidance. And of course, many of the earliest documents were received as, you know, being written by an apostle, uh, or an apostolic man. And so having a, a certain charism to them, uh, an inspired charism to them. Many of the gospels were received. I think all four of them, in fact, were received, um, pretty much readily as, as inspired. They were disseminated through the churches. They were read in, in the liturgies, uh, etc. But the point is there are certain ideas that have crept inside of Christianity that if you were to travel up that mountain, so if the mountain represents, uh, Jesus and his apostles and the very first first century church, every century you're coming further and further down that hill and you're going to find a little more pollution, right? And, and eventually, occasionally you'll find a lot of pollution, a big giant piece of, of pollution, a big giant source of something that is adulterating the, uh, the flow of the water, right? Or the flow of the truth. And so we always want to get as close to authentic Christianity as we can get precise because it gets us past that. So this channel is going to be focused on getting as close to the source as possible, which is what it actually has been built on this entire time. And what we're going to find out 
and I've already made this point in other videos and other, other podcasts is that certain ideas like Sola Scriptura don't arise until late, well down three, three quarters of the way down the bottom of the mountain, uh, where it currently stands now. And if we can't find those ideas innate to the first century, uh, second century or third century church, and especially if we can't find them spelled out explicitly in the scriptures, that lets us know that what we're dealing with is not authentic Christianity. It doesn't mean it's not still Christian. doesn't mean that the people don't still have a love of Christ. doesn't mean that those people are damned to hell or anything like that, right? But what it does mean is that they've accepted something into the flow of truth, which has adulterated it, and it's caused problems. And you can see these problems inside of the church when you look at everything that happened before and then after roughly 1517 when when Martin Luther nails those 95 theses to the door of the, the the church in Wittenberg right because you go from having no real denominations to having hundreds if not thousands of denominations and I have a whole video about how many denominations there are and I think that the numbers that that crest above 30 40 50,000 are probably uh not quite accurate I think that they're taking a funky read on non-denominational churches etc but even if those numbers are off, as I've said, by a magnitude of 10 or 100 or even a 1,000, you know, even 30 denominations is too many because Jesus came to give us the truth. The truth does not contradict and the truth will set us free. So in the first century, second century, third century, you have what I call the pre-denominational church. And there was just one church um, and it was split into uh, a number of different locations, but they all taught the same thing. There's a great quote, I think, by Irenaeus of Lyon, who's a bishop in the, the end of the second century, who says the whole church preaches the faith as if it has one voice, one mouth, uh, you know, uh, one thought, one will. And this is echoing what St. Paul writes in, in one of his letters, that the church was united in its ability to teach the truth and to teach it in a unified way. And in fact, this was how you could tell very quickly uh, which groups of people were heretical, uh, which had heretical beliefs because they simply could not um, present the faith the way that it had been presented. You could trace it back very, very quickly. And the litmus test was usually whether or not the, the bishop of that local church was a bishop who was one of the apostolic men or had for his ordainer, one of the apostolic men, uh, and who, who maintained his faith and, and, and carried on steadfast steadfast with the apostolic men. So what we're going to be trying to do is get as close as we can to authentic Christianity and to show, of course, why that pre-denominational church is going to be very, very similar to the church that we know as the Catholic church. Um, but it'll also share a lot of overlap with the Orthodox church because there were a number of the Eastern churches that were very, very much in line uh, with the, uh, the, the Latin half of the church. Um, there you can find early church councils that speak, uh, very clearly of the primacy of the Pope. Um, I think it was like the 28th Canon from, uh, one of the, anyway, one of the, the, the Bishop, Archbishop of Constantinople basically appealed to the, to the Pope and said, well, we wouldn't pass this council, uh, without your permission because of the, the seat of honor, which, which you hold without you, this council can't be, you know, convalidated basically. Uh, and so you actually see um, in the early church, there are councils, there are um, letters and documents and all sorts of things that are written that show that the early church did understand, in fact, that the uh, the Pope, who was the not the Bishop of Rome per se, but the successor of Peter, held a special authority. And that authority was was binding in a real sense over the rest of the church. So we're going to be looking at 
how we understand our faith and how the earliest Christians understood their faith. That's what this channel is really going to start being about. Um, I am also going to be publishing just some great works that I think get at the root of authentic Christianity. I'm in the process on this podcast right now. Um, and I'll put it on the YouTube channel when the YouTube channel, when the, the whole podcast is done, but I'm making a recording of uh, Chesterton's Ballad of the White Horse. It's a, a beautiful piece of poetry that gets at the heart of Western Christendom just in general. And of course, when we're looking at authentic Christianity, we want to look at the, the best fruit that it bore. And I think that Western Christendom uh, is something that is actually a good thing, contrary to what a lot of people seem to think these days. Um, so that's where we are. And I hope that that makes sense. I hope this wasn't too rambling. I didn't really have an agenda for this video, but I just wanted to uh, explain the the change in the name uh, to Authentic Christianity uh, from Ask Catholics, because that's much more pointed. I, I don't mind people. I'm not trying to hide that I'm Catholic, but I am trying to reframe things because I have a lot of friends who are non-denominational because they actually understand the problem with Christianity um, and how it's so fractured these days. And they see the problem inside of all of the different denominations. And when they tell me they're, they're non-denominational because they don't think that any of the denominations got it right. I understand where they're coming from. And I usually follow up with a kind of a tongue in cheek reply and say, well, you know, I'm very similar. Uh, I don't like the denominations either. That's why I'm pre-denominational. And they say, what does that mean? And then I explain that I try to follow what the very first, you know, first, second, third century Christians taught. And this goes right along even with what Paul says in, uh, I think it's second Timothy two, two, where he gives the method of the dissemination of the faith. And it's not take this letter, copy it down and send it to the churches, read it and come to your own conclusions. But rather it's, uh, what you've heard from me, Timothy, and trust other men who can trust it to others as well. And so it's this, this succession of teachers, um, passing on that which has been taught and proclaimed publicly in the church. And that is how tradition gets passed on. It gets passed on. It's not a secret thing. It's a public thing. Uh, and the more the church is disseminated, the more you can tell the authentic tradition, because it's, it remains the same and in constant, even as various local traditions change, which is why you have all of the Eastern Rite churches that have, um, you know, different, uh, different liturgical practices. Sorry, I'm moving my camera for you guys. They have different liturgical practices. They have different, um, songs and customs and, 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 and whatnot, but the core of the faith, there's that calming child sound again. The, the core of the faith is the same. So that's what we're going to be investigating. Anyway, thank you guys for listening to this. Sorry if it was kind of rambling, but uh, we're going to try and get to the top of that mountain to the purest water, uh, and in the process, discover, what truly is authentic Christianity. Thank you. Bye-bye.